Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where I get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm welcoming back one of my favorite guests, Marion Hill. As you've heard me say several times on this show, Marion is one of the most well-read people I know. What I've always admired about him is how he's open to all genres, and he approaches his reading life with really thoughtful intent. Marion counts Octavia Butler as one of his all-time favorite authors, and it was a delight to talk to him today about her classic, The Parable of the Sower, and why it is the best book ever. Hi, Marion. Welcome back to the Best Book Ever podcast. Well, thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me back. I've been wanting to discuss this book in detail, and I know you have been wanting to read this book for quite a while, so I'm happy to uh, be on this podcast again and discuss one of my all-time favorite books. So. Oh, I'm I'm so excited you're here, and I'm so excited I finally read this book. I have a lot to ask you about. Um, <laughs> but what I want to start with, you were on this podcast about a year ago, and we talked a lot about the thing that I admire so much about you is how widely you read and how you read. It seems to me you read just every genre. Um, can you tell me about what your reading life has been like in the year since we last spoke? Um, has it changed? Has it increased? Has it decreased? What has your What has your reading year been like? Good question. I haven't read as much as I wanted to. Um, just a lot's been going on in my life personally. Um, but I think I'm starting to read a little bit more nonfiction. Um, I've always mm-hmm. been a fiction reader. That's just my love. I'll always read, as you mentioned, widely across genres. But I read the, out, the autobiography of Malcolm X. I read Martin Luther King's last book, Where Do We Go From Here? And stuff I wouldn't have read in the past that I'm starting to add more to my reading life. And it actually is kind of a beneficial way because now I can read something that's factual kind of offset what's happening in fiction. So so if there's any change, I won't say it's a change, it's just an addition, but adding a little bit more nonfiction. And I have cast by uh, Isabel Wilkerson, which I'm going to read probably the first of the year. So just trying to add those elements to my reading life. That's probably the main change. Did something prompt the the trek into nonfiction or it was just one of those things where you looked and said, I don't read enough nonfiction or did something push you there? A little bit both. And I turned 50 in August and I was like, you know, and I had never read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I'll speak about that. And it had been on my shelf for years. That's a book I've had, but I've never read it. I was like, you know what? I'm going to just sit down and read it. And then I read it and I was just floored. I just was really floored about the personal transformation, you know, obviously if you read it, you can, you know, it's a popular book. I don't have to go into detail about it. And then I read Martin Luther King's book right after it. And it just gave me a contrast of what was happening at the time. And I was like, you know what? I want to start reading more of these types of books going forward, as well as my fiction. I'll always read fiction, all kinds of fiction. That'll never, ever change. But I want to add these books as well to my reading life. So just a little bit of me turning 50 and reflecting and just, you know, a natural progression, so to speak. So... Yeah, there's something about turning 50, I think, that makes us all look around and go, I don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I won't get to like my mortality, but just it makes you reflect that, you know, you've lived. Obviously, most people don't live to 100, but people 50 is kind of that marker for a lot of people of, OK, I've done this in my young life and now I'm middle age, solidly middle age now. What is important? And so I think for me just thinking about those things. And I just realized 
these are books that have been around for a while and I had never read them before. And I was like, you know what? I want to start reading some of these books as well. So that's kind of my thinking behind that. And do you enjoy nonfiction the way that you enjoy fiction or does it feel like more of a chore to you? Good question. Mm, that's, I, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm always looking for story. And I think especially in the autobiography of Malcolm X, I felt more of a story, even though it was kind of written in memoir style to Alex Haley, while mm-hmm. the Martin Luther King book was more of a, it was more essay format the way it was written. So, but it wasn't a chore. It, both of books were very easy to read, but I'm always looking for a story. To me, story is universal. So that's my main thrust, my main, I have to have that, any type of story. So that's what I'm looking for. And if nonfiction can provide that, then I'm good with that too. Well, just like last time we talked, I skimmed through your recent book reviews of the mm-hmm. last year on your mm-hmm. blog. Yes. And just like last time, I was absolutely blown away by genres. I found Toni Morrison and yes. uh, modern fiction, Tayari Jones. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, well, I think we talked about Wallace Stegner last time. And I saw mm-hmm. that you read another Wallace Stegner yes. this year. Yes. yes. Um, N.K. Jemison. I'm reading. I'm reading the, the fifth season now. I read the short story collection. That's where I posted. But I'm actually reading the fifth season now. I just started it last night. So, wow. I, I just I love the way you read. I just I get so stuck in my favorite genres, <laughs> and my favorite authors, and I'm just always so impressed at the way you move around and expand your horizons. Well, Julie, I'll explain it. Like I mentioned when we when I was on last, I worked at a books. I worked at a couple of mom and pop bookstores when I lived in Santa Fe, and then I worked at Borders. People don't know it. Borders. There was a competition for Barnes and Noble a few <laughs> years ago. Borders, one, and actually one of my favorite jobs, even though it didn't pay a lot. But anyway, and I saw in there, and it was just my own anecdotal evidence of how people will always just go to certain genres, whether it's you know people go to Tom Clancy or people would go and read. They're Daniel Steele's or, you know, whoever. And I was just like, reading to me has always been about exploration. And I just think this is a part of my life where a lot of times in your regular everyday work life, you can't really explore. Mm-hmm. Well, this is this is art. Whether it's bad art or good art, you should be able to explore it. And so that's kind of been my philosophy about reading. And, and if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. There's no harm. You're not hurting anybody. It's not, you know, it's not going to be like, oh, you're making that person feel bad or anything like that. It's just, I want to try it, try it. And you never know. You may like it. You may not. But it's worth trying. I just feel that way about reading. Are you that way about other kinds of art? Like, are, will you listen to any music or see any movie? Or is it just books that you're so open about? Books and music, I'm pretty much open. Television, because I'm not a I'm, I like television, but it's not my thing. I'll watch it, enjoy it. But, but I'm pretty much into my documentaries and food shows for our television. And I'll watch some, you know, shows here and there, but it's not a love, but books and music. I've always, even as a kid, if you talk to my mom, she would say, Marion was always this way. He always read all kinds of different things, especially music. He listened to all different types of music. He just, it was just a natural, those two things were just natural for me. But the other art forms, I'm a little bit more conservative, so to speak, you know, especially uh-huh. in television. My friends, I wish we could sit across from each other at a coffee shop and chat about books all day long. But since we can't do that anytime soon, let's be social media pals. Follow me over on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast and you'll see lovely pictures of my weekly guests, 
read more about the books we discuss, see occasional photos of my reading life, and bookish news from friends of the show. You might even catch a glimpse of our official mascot, Benny, the meanest bunny on the planet. I really loathe most social media, but I love the Instagram book community. So come on over and say hi at Best Book Ever Podcast. I look forward to chatting with you there and seeing what books you are sharing. Now, back to the show. Tell me about this book that we're talking about today, Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Do you remember the first time you came across this book? Yes, I came across this book. I was working as a bookseller back in 1993. I was living in Santa Fe. And this book came out in, I believe, October, November of that year. And I had just turned 22 years old. And I have the, I'll show it to you here, but I know people can't listen to it. But this is the original cover. Oh, wow. And I saw this cover and I was just like, that's an interesting cover. And I had never read Octavia Butler. And she had written some novels previous to that before this book came out. And so I bought it and took a chance on it. And it just, it just, I had not read anything like that up to that time. And at that time I was reading a lot of epic fantasy. I was reading a lot of Dean Koontz. So that was kind of my jam at the time, but I had not read anything like this before. And I was just floored by it. And it, now I've read it three times. I read it when I was in my twenties. I read it in my late thirties. And now I just read it again um, and a few months ago in my late forties, turning 50. So this book has really grown with me over the years and I've taken different things out of it as I've read it. So it's really an interesting book. And whether you come at it from the end of the world diastic angle, or you're coming at it from a young girl growing into womanhood, it's just, it, she gets, I tell it has a lot in there and it's just, it's something that stuck with me all these years. I, I really want to get back to how it has changed for you over the years. But before we do that, can you give a brief summary of the book for my listeners who maybe haven't? I know I'm one of the few people in the world who (laughs) has not read this book. Um, But for anyone else who hasn't read it, can you tell them what it's about? Sure. It's about the story of this young woman named Lawrence. She lives in this gated community in Los or a suburb of Los Angeles. And it's a the world is coming to an end. I mean, it's dystopian. I always get that word mixed up, but it's (laughs) The world, you know, the world's really struggling. And so she lives with her father, who's a, who's a minister, and her stepmother, Corazon, and her brothers. And they're trying to survive and trying to make do. And obviously, all of a sudden, all you know what breaks loose, and she ends up le- having to leave the community. Well, in the meanwhile, she starts this pseudo-religion called Earthseed. And the main tenet of it is God has changed. And we'll get, I can get into that why that's part of the reason why this book has kind of stuck with me for over the years. But she goes and she's been writing this stuff for years and she's trying to reluctantly tell people, but anytime, whether you're religious or even if you're just a business person who has these ideas that, that are not the norm, people are not receptive to that. Well, eventually, you know, it comes out and she has to leave the community and then she ends up getting some like-minded people as they travel from California up north to Washington, where she feels is going to be more safer. So, but that's kind of the book in a nutshell. Uh, tell me, because I think it's such a privilege to grow with a book the mm-hmm. way you have yeah. and to read it at different times in your life and understand it differently every time. Um, a- as you know, this was my first time reading this book. Mm-hmm. And in addition, I am not a sci-fi reader 
anyway. So tell me what it has been like for you. What did you think of this book the first time and the second time and the third time you read it? Well, the first time I read it, um, it, I was just blown away by Butler. And she writes very stark, very Mm. honest, very direct. And also, I just saw someone who looked like me in a different way. And, Mm. and we talked about this last time when we discussed memory and dream, um, that I, up to this point, I hadn't, it wasn't just about, you know, being a young black girl. It was just about, she had her own mind. It was different. It was, she's dealing with religion. She's dealing with environmental issues. It was just at that time, maybe there were other books out there like that, but at that time I had not read anything like that. So it, it gave me inspiration because I had just started writing my own little stories for the first time at the time. And I was like, oh, you know, someone is writing differently, not just in the paradigm that's expected for people who look, look like me at the time. So mm-hmm. that's the really main impression that I got when I first read it. And what about now? What's it like for you to read it at your at, in 2021? Well, I have a daughter and Nora, she's 12 and she's a few years younger than Lauren and her relationship with her father, even though she breaks away from his version of Christianity, she revered her father and had a connection with her father. So it made me think about my own relationship with my daughter and how close we are and how we read books together and how we talk about things. And she's starting to be a teenager. So, you know, eventually (laughs) she'll kind of pull away from me as well. Uh, Hopefully we'll maybe have a close relationship. But to me, when I read it a couple months ago, that's what I was thinking about more than anything is the relationship she had with her father and that, that connection. It just really touched me. And I was like, you know, even though that's fictional, I still want to have that relationship with my daughter and talk about things. And so he kind of gave her some wise counsel about not sharing everything because everybody's not able to receive, especially if you have ideals different than everybody else. And that makes me think I may have to have that conversation one day with Nora. She talks about things that are quote, quote unquote the norm. So that I took a lot more of that from that this time reading it. So tell me your thoughts about this religion that she is forming, the earth seed religion. Yeah. So like I said, the first time I read it, I was like, hmm, God has changed. And I wasn't quote unquote religious at the time. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I viewed it on that level. The second time I read it in my late thirties, I was definitely much into the church. I was definitely much a church going person. And so I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. How can he change? And so it kind of rubbed me the wrong way at that time. But now reading it again, I think Butler's just trying to say that change is inevitable, a part of human life, whether you believe in this deity or not, you change is inevitable. And how do you handle that? And I just think for me, that's such a big message, especially turning 50. And and we're dealing with the pandemic and everything that we have to be able to understand that change is inevitable. And it's how do we react to it as human beings? And we can't get, you know, stagnant or stuck in the mud. So for me reading it this time, I was much more flexible than I was when I read it the second time as far as that piece of it. So that's what I took from it, from the religion. So, But tell me what you think of, I'm very cynical about humans forming religions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. And my thought through this whole book is, well, she's a cult leader, right? <laughs> yeah, and she's forming a cult. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know she wouldn't say she's forming a cult, Right. No one in a cult ever thinks they're in a cult, right? right? 
So did you feel that it was cultish? Did you feel that this was just another start to the same old thing? Good question. I never felt it was cultish because I've always believed people as human beings, we need to believe in something bigger than ourselves, whether it's in this case, a religion, Mm -hmm. or we believe in our careers, or we believe in something about us as human beings, we have to believe in something bigger. And that to me, she's 15. Now, maybe she was 25 or 30. I may feel a little bit more about you in cultish because this is a grown person. They've had life experience. But at 15, I really felt she was trying to figure out Mm. the world was disintegrating around her. And as a 15-year-old, especially being a teenager, you know, all kinds of things are happening with her body, hormones. And then she has this intelligence about what is this world about? She's trying to figure out. So I've always seen the book on that level more so than any sinister. I know the word cult has a sinister label to it, but I never saw it that way. I saw it as her trying to figure out how to how to survive and how to hold on to something bigger than herself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 I did too. As I was reading it, but then, you know, the book ends and it goes on to the, the next book and I intentionally didn't read it. The, the sequel, mm-hmm. I have it here, but yeah. um, I didn't mm-hmm. want to read it before I talked to you because mm-hmm. I did want to ask you if, if I feel like it could go either way. I feel like the next book, is she going to become some sort of great and terrible cult leader or is <laughs> earth seed the actual answer to all of these problems? And it's a great way to, it's a great place to end. Yes, yes, it is. Well, without giving it away, I will say this. The second book is much more political than it is religious in here. And I Mm. think it's the ramifications of that philosophy and how it affects the political. And that's where a lot of people who've come to this book, especially in the last five to six years, obviously with the previous president and stuff like that, and the slogan and stuff like that that's been mentioned, people have gravitated toward that book. And I will admit, I'm not as that I like the book, but I don't, it doesn't, it didn't touch me as much as this one because this one had more of a spiritual element that I could wrap myself around more so that one. But to answer it without saying that one is, is a much more political book. So now what you mean by that, because I have heard this, I think that the second one, um, mm-hmm. uh, parable of the talents, which mm-hmm. is the sequel to this has a, um, sort of, bad president. Let's just yeah. say that. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. his slogan is make yes. America great again. Yeah, correct. 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 And she wrote that in 1988. So people were like, wow, how prophetic, you know, years later, our previous president, whether you agree with this politics or not, says the same slogan. And so I think people really gravitated towards, okay, well, let's, what is she, what is she saying about our current political situation? Mm-hmm. So I would just say that book leans more heavily into that and into okay. that, she does it a little bit here in Parable to Soar, yeah. but it really that really wasn't the focus. So, and in Parable to Talents, it goes. It she Butler leans more into that and what happens there. So, now can you answer me? I have to ask you sort of a dumb question, but um, mm-hmm. I what makes this science fiction? I mean, this is considered a classic of science fiction, and. Okay, I looked it up that mm-hmm. because I thought, how is this sci- science fiction? And I looked up, what is the definition of science fiction? Mm-hmm. And I read fiction based on imagined future scientific or technological advances and mm-hmm. major so- social and environmental changes. Right. Frequently portraying space or time travel. Right. 
But I got to say, reading it now, there doesn't feel anything futuristic about it. It felt, <laughs> everything felt very real. Yeah, yeah. Well, the second part of what you said, the psychological aspects, and then there are environmental issues in there. She also yeah. talks about guns and stuff like that. So I think that's where it's loosely science fiction. Well, I think also because her previous books were much, and she had written the Pattern Master series before this. So they were yeah. science fiction. And so once you're in that club or in that genre, you get you get what even even if it's not quote unquote science fiction, you're la- you're going to be labeled that way. So I think more of it that way. I think a lot of this is close to what Ursula K. Le Guin did with the books like Dispossessed and Left Hand in Darkness, where it was the psychological aspects more than exploration of space or stuff like that. So but. To me, what you said earlier, that second part of what you said earlier is probably what makes this book science fiction more than anything. So reading it the first time, the environmental collapse must, I mean, you know, I was 22 then or 24 then as well. And mm-hmm. it, it it seemed like something <laughs> that's never really going to happen. Right. And right. now that we're in that, in those actual years, it just does not feel far-fetched, but it must have felt very far-fetched. It, it did. I was, you know, I, you know, I hadn't heard of climate change or any of that stuff back then in the early nights. It just wasn't talked about. And mm-hmm. I was just, I just accepted it part of the story. I didn't have any great thoughts by it, but now reading it all these years later, I'm like, man, she really saw ahead of what, what was going to happen. And no one's perfect. Obviously she's a human being. She has limitations, but, the, but they have the insight of this is a possible future. It's like, wow. So it does feel very current now, feel very real now. And the book is almost 30 years old. So so it's, you know, definitely that. Yeah, I guess I was just waiting for, I don't know, aliens to show up or something. <laughs> and and it just felt to me like if the government collapsed tomorrow, this is exactly how it would go down. I, yeah. I could it felt so yeah. real and logical. It did. And I think her writing is so poignant that yes. it is flowery. And again, there's nothing wrong with flowery writing. I like flower just like anybody, but it's so poignant and so stark. And it, it just hits you. And you're just like that to me, I think that makes it feel even, even more realer. If that makes sense. It's like, you know, she's really, she's not, she's telling a story, but she's like, I'm giving it to you straight. I'm not, I'm not pushing. I'm not, you know, pulling any punches here, so to speak. So. Now, you mentioned that you are currently reading N.K. Jemisin. Um, The mm-hmm. version of the book that I have has a foreword mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by N.K. Jemisin, and yes. I also have never read her, but um, mm-hmm. I see her mentioned a lot as sort of yeah. inheriting the mantle um, or inheriting the crown, yes. I guess, mm-hmm. of Octavia Butler. Do you mm-hmm. feel that they are, are they similar writers? Good question. I read her short stories and I just started reading this book. I think the starkness of it are similarities, but I think in N.K. Jemison, from what I'm reading so far, is a little bit different than her. Um, her world so far, and not that Butler's world building is excellent, but her world building is fantastic. I was just like, to me, as someone who loves imaginative fiction, I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, I can see this world. I can feel this world, even the, and I'm just starting with fifth season. So I think their their differences are there. And I think Jemison's more fantasy-based okay. aspects of it, as well as Butler leans more into science fiction or sociological science fiction. The lines are blurred, but I but to me there there is a difference between the two. So, but I can definitely see her influence on her. 
I heard the, the sharpness of her writing and the, the bluntness of her writing. There's definitely a, a Butler influence in her work from what I've read so far. <laughs> Is this your favorite Octavia Butler book? Yes. My, yeah. Going away. Hands down. Yeah. Really? And yep. how yep. many of her books have you read? I've read Wild Seed. Um, I've read Kindred. And I've read the sequel to this one, Parable of the Talents. Mm-hmm. So I've read four. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this a good spot for people who have not read Octavia Butler? Do you feel like this is a good place to start? I was hoping you asked this. I feel <laughs> I've always felt this is a perfect place to start because she deals with these big themes about religion and, and environmental issues. And I think because you've been mentioning that this book is not science fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I think especially a lot of literary fiction readers, I think this would be the the place to go. But what I've noticed over the years, a lot of literary fiction readers who come to Octavia Butler go to Kindred, which is her slave time travel novel, which yes. is an excellent novel. I, I, I want to I want to get that out there. It's an excellent novel. It's my least favorite because it kind of reminds me of the stuff that we as African-Americans talk about a lot. So I'm not it's not as for me. But it's a great novel. It should be worth reading. But I always thought this novel here goes even further. And it just, it just, it to me is a great place to start. Answer, answer your question directly. So there is, the sequel is Parable of the Talents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she began to write a third parable novel. Did you, did right. you know this? Yeah, Parable of the Trickster. Yes, that was going to be a third one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, and again, I wish she was here, obviously. But I do think the two books are, two books of, of a half of, of a whole. Okay. And I think a third, again, maybe she would have, I'm pretty sure she would have told a good story with the third book, but they may have been too much. But I do think these two books, Parable of the Soul and Parable of the Talents fit together. And once you read it, even though I'm, I didn't like it as much. I think you have to read both of them. One without the, it, 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 it's a, it's a complete story together. So it makes sense to me. So it would have been interesting if she was alive to write that third book would have, would have felt, a little too much of it or mm-hmm. would it would have been integrated with the other two books. So I'm telling you that cult was going to get out of control. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's, that's, po- you know, that's possible. That's you very, know, very, someone's going to take very, over and be yeah, very possible. It. Very possible. Before we started recording, you said that you had just been to a book club meeting yes. about parable of the sower and you had a different opinion than the other people in your book club. Can you tell me about that? Well, yeah, it was a local gallery here called art pace. Um, and we had, they had, they have a book club and it comes, they do it every other month. And so in October they did parable of the sword and it was four of us. And we were talking about the book and everyone loved the book. And, and my different opinion was because I had read it for the third time and I was coming from it from like, I met you asked me the third time. So I had just read the book for the third time. So I was thinking about my daughter in that relationship. So I talked a lot about that where they were talking about the environmental stuff. They were talking about, you know, the disintegration of the society. And that's where I mean our difference. It wasn't, I won't say difference of opinion. It's just, I came from it from as a father looking at her as my daughter and how would my daughter respond if she was in the situation like that in that relationship. So I spoke a lot about that where they spend more on the other elements of the book. So. Such as the sci-fi nature of it yes, and the, yes. Yes, yes, sci-fi nature of it, you know, the environmental stuff, what will you do, you know, if you're forced out of the community, what happened to the young brother Keith, they talked a lot about that, you know, oh, in that whole situation, what happened there, we can't, I don't want to give, obviously we don't want to give it away, but 
but that what happened there. So a lot of discussion was around Kim and that relationship. But for me, I was, I was, and I literally, I was just thinking about my daughter, Lauren, she could be my daughter. Mm-hmm. And what, how would I react as a father? She came to me talking about this religion and, you know, and, and considering he's a Baptist minister, so he has his own views about it. So I was really on that level with it. She's so good. Well, I, like I told you, I have Parable of the Talents. I will mm-hmm. read that next. And I also have Kindred, which I mm-hmm. have held on to because I wanted to read yeah. this one first. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to keep going. I think, yeah. I think I might be because of Octavia Butler. Maybe I like sci-fi. I'm not sure. Well, you may. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people who come to her eventually go on and read other books like that. Like I said, because she comes at it from a psychological perspective. She's not coming at it from a typical science fiction perspective of space exploration or anything like that. She's coming yeah. at it from, and I think readers, serious readers can really latch, latch on to that. And that even though this is a little bit out of my league, the characters yes. are so interesting and her writing is so sharp that you can really gravitate to it and grab onto that. So, yeah, I th- I think you've nailed it. I think that's exactly what the appeal is for me because mm-hmm. I get very intimidated by well yeah. sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, yeah, but this one felt very approachable and real, and so mm-hmm. I'm less intimidated to read other books, even if aliens do show up in our other books. <laughs> <laughs> Which I read Wild Seed for this podcast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning of the year, which is yeah. a little more. It's definitely sci-fi because there's, you yeah. know, they sort of travel through space. And they're immortal. The both beings are immoral. Yeah. So definitely. Yeah. You're yeah. right. Yeah. That's more sci-fi. Yeah. And that, and that was an, her earlier series before she published, before she published the parable books. Yeah. Oh, Wild Seed is also a series? Yes. It's a series with Pattern Master, Mind of a Mind, and Clay's Ark. There's a four, it's a oh. four book series. So she wrote those in the I think, late seventies, but those are, those are, that was her first series. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, like I say, she's been writing. She was writing for years, and then you know, obviously, she's a black woman. She's writing science fiction, and at that time, she was probably the only one. So, you know, outside of the small science fiction community, she wasn't well known. And then, obviously, yeah. you know, years go by, and you know, she wrote Kindred, which was kind of her quote unquote mainstream novel, which a lot of people still, you know, a lot of literary fiction still read. And then, obviously, she passes away, and then these books come out, and now everybody's like, like I said, the culture caught up to her basically in a, in a nutshell culture call up to her. I wish we'd have done it while she was alive and she yes. could enjoy her accolades. Yes. yes, absolutely. I wrote a blog post about, about rereading your favorite books. And for me, I have a new theory about reading my favorite books. Now that I think a favorite book for me is one I have to reread over the course of my life, not just read it. I read it that year is my favorite that year. And I may read it again, but reading this book, having this book be in my life for 30 years and now rereading it, I'm just makes me rethink. And there's going to be very few books. Obviously we don't live, you know, 200, 300 years, but (laughs) there's going to be a very short list of books. And so it's made me think about my all time favorite books and how many times I've read them and how I've grown with them. And, And it's only a very short handful. So for me, I was just, it's just been great to grow with a book like this, even at times where I may have disagreed with some of it, but it's still a great story and it makes you think. And I think great art does that. It makes you think about things in a different way, in a different spe- perspective over time. And that's really, it's, that's why it's one of those books for me. What other books are on that list for you that you reread? The Little Country by Charles Delent. We did Memory and Dream, but yeah. Little Country, um, 
Winter's Tale by Mark Helpern. The movie was awful, but the story is, is fantastic. Um, the Book of Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament, and I'm not proselytizing here, but that I've always fought that book has been the most philosophical in the Bible, and I've read that book. There's just stuff in there with wisdom over the years that it, you can apply to life. I've always read that. And then the other book is The Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. Um, just his experience about being black in America and just that whole thing is it's it's a sad book, but I it's something I I've taken from it over the years as reading it. So those are my short, short list. Wow. I've never read The Invisible Man. Yeah. It's a tough book. It's a tough yeah. book, dude. It's about it's a six hundred page, it's a long novel mm-hmm. and it's it's tough, but but the you're talking about beautiful writing. Ellison writes beautifully in there and it's just it it hits you. And, and every time I read it, it hits me. It just hits me. So and let me say one more thing if I could about this book, which Please. I really mentioned. Um, I'm big into diversity. Obviously, we talked about books and music, but just people. And also seeing this book with the characters, you know, her stepmother was Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Her neighbors were Chinese. Her neighbors were white. And she had a mixed couple along with them. And the diversity... And I know we use that word a lot, but it felt so real. It, it just it didn't feel forced upon. It was like people will get together in dire situations and people will cross lines, so to speak. And to me, to see, read this book, especially in the early 90s, when a lot of that wasn't talked about that way, to me, is another takeaway. And this even now, as I've read it second and third time, I still like I want I know I know, you know, more books are starting to be published like that. But. At this time, this was just, I hadn't read anything like this. And it was just honest. It wasn't forced. It wasn't a quota system or anything like it was just these people are trying to survive in this situation. And people are will get together once left to their own devices. And there's something I've always taken away from this book as well. I'm really glad you brought that up because there was a moment where I think she made a really subtle point about that when they were out and they had started traveling. And the couple, the interracial couple was together and there was some line about um, if the other, because, you know, then they're kind of in competition with other travelers. And there is some line about if people know that you two are together, there's going to be violence. And my thought as a reader was, are you kidding me? We're still fighting about this. You people don't have water. And, right, and right, we still right, can't right, like, right, right. and it just yeah, makes I, you realize I, I how stupid we sound. I know, but hatred cuts deep, and ignorance cuts deep. And even if your situation is terrible, if you see something that you don't think is right, you can focus that hatred, that anger towards that. And I think Butler was probably speaking to that, sure, you know, which makes no sense on just on any level, but unfortunately those kind of things cut deep and, you know, people will, will react in a certain way, which doesn't benefit them anyway. But. So I think what, I think what we're saying here is that Octavia Butler was some sort of, what, is she a witch? Is she a, is she, <laughs> does she have, yes. What did she have? Did she have some sort of future vision? Cause she it's a have, little wild. Had incredible insight into human nature. I just think. You know, that reflects in her writing. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I won't say unfortunately, I think because she's a science fiction writer and how we have treated genre writers, you know, a, a few of them have broken out the Ray Bradbury's, the Ursula Le Guin's of the world and stuff like that, which is great. But 
We don't know great writing is great writing and great insight can come from any genre. And I think to me, it's our biggest lesson. I'm glad people who are quote unquote serious readers are just finally discovering her, but great writing comes from great writing. And I think if you have an understanding of human beings, that comes out. And I just Mm. think this is clear, especially in this book and her other books as well, but it just, it comes out clear. She has a a keen understanding of human beings and in the society that we're living in and how to, how to, how we, how we deal with each other. Marion, it is always so great to talk to you. You know, you always have an open invitation to come back and tell me about books anytime because you have, you always introduced me to such great books. And I want to thank you for joining me today. Will you tell my listeners how they can find you online? They can find me at my website at marion-hill.com. And I Instagram is my social media channel where I blog and post all my books about Ruth. It's at, at marhill31. So either my blog or Instagram, I'm always there. Super. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me again. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for listening, Bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. If you'd like to hear more from this week's guest, become a patron of the Best Book Ever podcast. For about the cost of a latte, you'll get exclusive interview clips, monthly book roundups, and curated reading lists. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash best book ever to learn more. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.